What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Here is what I have lined up for you today. Well, it shouldn't be a business, I, I don't think, you know, because football is, is, is something very different to that. It's a really important part of this community, you know. I've learned that. I learned that straight away when I went to visit Forest Green when they were in trouble before the rescue mission began. And that's what football is about. It's about local community. This is the What The Footy podcast. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. How you doing today, Del? Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. And um, yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, so we start off the podcast with this question, which is what is football to you, a business or a sport and why? Oh, blimey. Blimey, easy question. It's a sport, isn't it? Um, and, you know, I love football. I play football. I watch football. I run a football club now, but I never planned to. I never expected that I would or even thought about it. Um, and so that's a different aspect of it. But, you know, business sorry football shouldn't be a business i i don't think you know because football is 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 something very different to that it's a really important part of this community you know i've learned that i learned that straight away when i went to visit forest green when they were in trouble before the rescue mission began you know and that's what football is about it's about local community um yeah and it's become a business obviously at the top end of the game more than anywhere else no that's useful and um I think the sort of the first question I wanted to sort of ask you, which is linked to some of the stuff that you mentioned there, is why did you actually initially buy the club and what was the vision and the strategy? Because typically people like yourselves who are successful entrepreneurs within communities that go on to buy football clubs, like I was listening to Steve Parrish when he bought Crystal Palace. A lot of your uh, your close friends will tell you stay away from football. So, um, what what kind of pushed you into wanting to actually go into football and uh, and, uh, and and run Forest Green Rovers? I'm an accidental football chairman. Um, you know, I didn't buy the club. I just took responsibility for it. And it was a rescue mission in the summer of 2010. The club was in trouble on the verge of bankruptcy and relegation. And, um, you know, the guys asked me to go see them and I went and watched a the game there. I think it was August 2010. And I just thought it was a lovely place. The club was 120 years old. They were lovely people. And, and football at that level is a really intimate experience. It's really quite visceral, like being at a live theatre or something, you know. It's not like being at a really big game or watching it on TV or something like that. So I was struck by all of those things. And they said, look, we just need a bit of cash to get through the summer. I think it was 30 grand. And I thought, sure, why not? And then by the end of the summer, the conversation had changed and they were saying to me, actually needed a lot more than that. And I should become chairman. And basically, uh, if I didn't, the club would fold. And I was like really busy at the time. I'm busy all of the time, and I didn't, I didn't want to take on something else. But I looked at it ever so simply as a question of if I don't, then it will fold. And and how hard can it be to run a football club? So I didn't have a plan or a strategy or a goal. Uh, it was purely a rescue mission. I took responsibility for 
a failing football club. What would you say are some of the similarities and differences between, obviously, you run a successful business in Ecotricity and obviously running Forest Green Rovers as well. What, what are those sort of key key similarities, differences, the challenges um, of, of, of effectively being, being in both positions? Yeah, it's interesting because I like to think that actually we've had a bit of a cultural exchange between um, the businesses that uh, that I run and between the football club. You know, we've learned things from each other. So we took into football a kind of modern way to organize ourselves uh, with systems and, and all kinds of things that were missing from the club um, that seemed obvious to us. But what we took from football was really um, interesting. It was about the, uh, the, the focus on performance is, is really um, in the immediate term in football, you know, it's, it's Saturday to Saturday, sometimes it's Saturday to Tuesday. Uh, and there's a real kind of hard and sharp focus on that in football. And quite often that manifests in what looks like unethical behavior towards players and towards managers and stuff like that, which I didn't like the look of to begin with. Um, so, you know, but we learned a lot about kind of, um, I suppose, a team approach to things. And, you know, we, we have a team approach here at Ecotricity anyway, but it was really interesting to see how it's done in football when you've got these much more immediate and obvious uh, signs of success and delivery compared to being in a business where you might look at yourself every three or six months or one year or something. Do you know what I mean? And say, how did we do? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and I think that's that's one of the, one of the unique things with with football and, and also obviously within within your club as well, you have obviously Henry as the chief exec there and you've got Rich as your sporting director there. In terms of sort of coming into the football operations, how, how important did you see those, especially that role of the sporting director playing in what you wanted the, the club to look like over over your tenure as, as, as chairman? It was interesting because when I first got involved in the club, um, I didn't know anything about running a football club, obviously. Didn't know very much about football, you know. I like to play it and watch it, but, you know, I was an amateur. Um, and the, the club is in a really um, not unusual non-league position in that the manager did everything. You know, he recruited players, negotiated wages, did the coaching, did all that kind of stuff. And at the time, Forest Green were a part-time club with like 13 players and never trained on a full-size pitch so just to set that as the baseline where we started from and that was my entry point into the world of football and so over the years we uh, what we did was we tried to improve everything you know we we found some full full-size training facilities we got more players better players and the the manager that we inherited um we, we survived on goal difference, pure goal difference, last game of the first season because somebody somewhere else scored enough goals to keep us up. We couldn't even draw to stay up. We lost. <laughs> so, it was so close. It couldn't have been closer. And we put that behind us and uh, made all these improvements. And we finished 10th in the league four times in a row and reached the conclusion that, like, uh, you know, we'd gone as far as we could with that manager. We'd given him all of the things he needed to do his job and, and what he was capable of and we were capable of together was 10th and we wanted more than that. So uh, we went and found a new manager. And I think that was a really um, unusual way to go about it. But I think it was the right way to go about it. And, and over the period, therefore, we've improved our training facilities. We brought sports nutrition and science into the club. Uh, most recently, analytics, you know, the use of data that's probably been going on four or five years now. Uh, and a director of football, probably two, three years ago, 
was the next logical step when we moved away from the manager model to the head coach model, which I think is more European, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it made more sense because I'd been able to see over the years anyway, the conflict that's inherent in having somebody that's responsible for coaching a team and getting the best out of a team, also responsible for negotiating wages with the team and scouting uh, for new players and stuff like that. That's a time conflict as much as anything else. So that was a natural progression for us. So along the way, we embraced data analytics, which has been really interesting to us. And, uh, and then Chief Exec, I think he's been with us about three years as well. And, uh, you know, he's, he's brought a, a lot to the club. And so I, what I'm trying to say in a very long-winded way is it's been a, a process of evolution, of learning and of improvement that's got us to where we are today. One of the things that's always sort of stood out to, to me about a football club is obviously you've almost brought in your passion for, for sustainability uh, into, into the club and how the club operates, whether that's through the, the, the half-time menus, whether that's through the... Um, the, the pitch, whether that's through the new sort of stadium that you're building there as well. Do you, do you almost see this as obviously it's your passion point as well, but it's almost enabled the club to to grow around the world and almost quote unquote build the, the brand of the club uh, because you're able to attract different people who, who also buy into the mission. And if they happen to like football as well, so be it, but they can buy into the story that you're, that you're building as well. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what's happened as well. We've got hundred different fan groups around the world in 20 different countries and that people like you say they might not necessarily be football fans but they become forest green fans for the other stuff that we do for the stances we take on veganism for example in the environment and I like to think that we haven't just created a new kind of football club but we have created a new kind of football fan and that is almost the most exciting thing to come out of this uh, this accidental kind of you know journey in football and and for us embedding our sustainable and ethical principles in the football club was a given um, from from the get-go. Day one of being in charge of the club, I bumped into the fact that we were serving uh, red meat to our players, which was horrifying to me. It made me part of the meat trade and we stopped that straight away. Um, and it wasn't until then that I'd even thought about the fact that there might be a conflict between the way the football club was run and the way I run everything else. But I could immediately see there was. And as we saw the changes we had to make within a couple of days or weeks, I realized we'd have to change everything about the club and really weave sustainability into the DNA of it and put it on an equal footing with football. We've got sustainability as one of our legs, let's say football is the other leg, and we walk on both of them. Um, so for, it was always fundamental, it was always a given, and um, and it has become a big differentiator for the club. You know, it, it makes us stand out from the crowd. It, that wasn't intentional. This is who we are, this is what we do, and that probably helps because it's genuine. Um, and uh, yeah, our story's gone around the world, which is fantastic. You know, I mean, I, I never could have conceived of, of the, the level of attention that we've had, the amount of impact that we've been able to have and influence in the world of sport and beyond just by saving our local football club and uh, turning it green. And, and even just on that topic there of, of, of wider than just Forest Green Rovers and actually looking at, at football and sport as a whole, how do you sort of see sport and football in general from a sustainability perspective? Like there's obviously a lot of talk around a World Cup every two years. We see how much sort of infrastructure and construction goes to taking these tournaments to new locations that potentially don't have the stadium. We have to construct new stadiums and and, and are we looking at a lot of these things in a lot of an ethical way? 
way. We're looking at uh, more matches coming into football across the football calendar, a lot more travel uh, sort of involved in there as well. How, how do you sort of see football from a sustainability perspective and do you feel like we're doing enough? So last question first, are we doing enough? No, but nobody is doing enough, I would say. And I don't think that football has a greater or lesser responsibility to, to do something about their own environment impact than any other sector of life. I also don't think football is particularly behind or ahead of the curve of any other sector of life. I would say like business, for example, government or people. Um, two degree business, uh, sorry, two, two degree football is always a little bit behind the curve. It's, it's a slightly old fashioned kind of uh, area of activity i bumped into that a lot myself in football but i'd say it's you know it's more or less the same thing but what football has that most sectors don't have is a platform the ability to reach people and to influence people and for that reason in my opinion football has a responsibility to do more to do much more uh, on the on the issue of the environment and um, fan travel is is a kind of um is the big thing that gets talked about when 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 you're talking about sustainability in football or sport generally the the big question comes yes but what about fan travel how can that ever be sustainable doesn't that undermine everything else that sport or football might do and you know i don't think it does <clears throat> i think that uh, it's over focused on fan travel because uh, you know if you think about it, even domestically people say that but all this travel to away games look an away game on average is once a week we all go to work five times a week. We'll take our kids to school five times a week, you know? So away fan travel in football isn't the biggest deal that we have to deal with. Uh, international travel is different uh, and, it, and it mostly involves flying, which is a problem. There's no doubt about that, but we've got so much else that we need to deal with first um, before we, we can actually uh, have the luxury of worrying about the odd international trip. We, for us, we don't. We don't travel internationally, you know, because we're not at that level, so we don't have that problem. But even if you look at the international travel of a Premier League team, it's really the tip of the iceberg in terms of impact. Uh, and there's much more that they could focus on first. And then, at the same time, the really important thing to bear in mind for perspective is that um, transport is changing in the background. So electric cars are taking over the road. We can see that now. Electric buses are coming. Electric planes will be in the skies in 10 years time. So if we focus on the stuff that we can control, you know, how we run our clubs, how we power ourselves, how we feed our fans and our players and our staff, and to an extent how we travel, because, you know, there's a lot that we can do. Um, you know, a few more years from now, the background has changed and our fans are traveling in electric vehicles almost completely. And we can fly to Europe if, if we should be so lucky to compete in Europe, in our case, for a screen, uh, in an electric plane. Green Rovers, when I found it, was 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 the most disorganized thing that I'd ever encountered in my life. And, and I'm an ex-New Age traveler. Right? I used to live on the road in, in convoys and buses and trucks and things like that. And, and, and I thought we were lunched out living on the road. But um, the, the club set gave me a, an organization chart for Forest Green Rovers early on. And, and it looked like somebody had taken a blender to a conventional organization chart. There were, there were um, lines going everywhere. It was the most crazy thing I'd ever seen, but it properly represented uh, pretty much how the club was run. It was, it was crazy. Nobody knew where the money went or where the money came from or how much money there was. Um, the turnstiles didn't count how many people went in. There were people with cash bags on the gates. Uh, an ex-chairman was taking cash out of a food stand for a debt he claimed he was owed. I mean, it was it was anarchy and chaos. And uh, and I like to think it was the most lunchtime thing I've ever been involved in. 
No, I think that's uh, I think that's that's super useful. And um, even just sort of touching the sort of, um, of some of the stuff that you mentioned, they're obviously um, a big thing about football nowadays. Obviously, financial sustainability and being being run in, in in this sort of the correct manner. Have you seen sort of things shift from obviously when you took over to obviously now and in terms of obviously you were non-league club then and obviously you're now sitting sitting pretty at the top of uh, at the top of League Two and crossing my fingers and toes that you can get 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 promotion this season. How have things kind of evolved um, as you sort of navigated through uh, sort of through the pyramid? I think the um the stuff we were doing 10 years ago was was radical 10 years ago and it made people raise their eyebrows and you know one of the kind of truisms of football for me is is what people constantly used to say which is we don't do things like that in football <laughs> isn't it? well but well, we do actually and maybe football needs to change um and i would say football has changed so 10 years on where we are today um, i mean everywhere i go i'm having conversations with directors of other clubs and they're telling me that they see that sustainability is really important and there's some aspect of what we do they want to talk about, whether it's electric vehicle charging or food or something. Um, and and, just, and this is at League Two level, you know, and we can see there are steps already being taken at the Premier League as well. Um, we're working with the United Nations on a global program called Sport for Climate Action. I'm an ambassador of the program. Forest Green Rovers are founding signatories and it's been created to, to kind of replicate what Forest Green have done in the entire world of sport, all sports, organizing bodies and clubs in order to reach the billions of sports fans around the world uh, and get them to change how they live, make them fans of the environment. The most super exciting initiative that I could imagine as an environmentalist. So I'd say the world of football has changed absolutely, the world of sport has changed absolutely but so has the world in 10 years you know and being vegan back 10 years ago was was kind of radical it was like a, a fringy cultish kind of thing and you know today it's not is it you know you vegan stuff is everywhere fast food outlets supermarkets cafes you know it's it's part of the new normal and that's what sustainability is in football i think increasingly part of the new normal and sort of in terms of your split in terms of revenue where, where does it almost sort of what does it almost sort of look like in terms of broadcasting commercial and, and sort of match day would you still say that match day is still the sort of the the lion's share of things for you or, or is that commercial commercial side creeping up i think commercial is probably bigger yeah. um we quadrupled our sponsorship in the last three years uh, which wow. is really interesting. Even in the pandemic, we doubled it when other people were hanging on to sponsors and we were adding them. And and that's because of our unique place, I think, um, as a as a green club, a club that you know stands for these principles. And and I think it's indicative of the fact that more and more businesses are coming along with green things they want to flog, and and they're looking for you know a sport or a football club to be associated with. And here we stand, uh, almost alone uh, in terms of visibility as, as a very green football club. So that's our blessing to be in this position at that time. Um, I think the money from the EFL and the Premier League is probably our biggest contributor every year, followed by commercial, which is almost matching it, uh, followed by match day. Our, our typical crowds at the moment are approaching 3,000. So, you know, we're not the, we are the smallest club in the league, but we don't have the smallest crowd, not quite. I think we're like bottom six or something like that. And our budget is like eighth in the league. And as you said earlier, we're sat top of the league. So it's an interesting mix of statistics. Now that's really interesting because my, my last episode I was exploring um, the 3pm blackout and whether it's finally time 
time to remove that because I was I was of the view that there are clubs like yourselves, whether you look at Stephen and what they did with, with Burger King or you look at Sunderland with the with the documentary that there's savvy ways to to generate commercial revenue besides just um, match day revenue. And if there was a way to sort of funnel that money of removing the 3 p.m. blackout, uh, selling those bundle of rights and pushing that money through the pyramids um, for, for more and more clubs as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm a fan of removing the blackout. You know, I don't think it makes sense. I understand where it comes from, uh, but I think, you know, it's time to move on. And uh, we, obviously we experienced it during the lockdown uh, that was lifted and fans could stream games live. And, we know that we have fans from all over the country, not just all over the world, and, and a lot of them just can't make it to every game, uh, home or away, they just can't. And and I see that, uh, you know, making that available streaming is uh, is just a way to engage and involve more people more of the time, you know, it's more inclusive. And I don't think it cannibalizes match day revenue because if you can get to a game, it's very much different and better than watching it, uh, you know, on a TV screen. And people will still do that, I believe that. Yeah, no, definitely. It's good, to, good to see that you agree with me there, and I'm not, I'm not all alone on that one. Um, but yeah, just I think it'd just be great though, obviously, to know like what's in the store for for the club, and obviously, obviously, as I mentioned at the start, sitting pretty, sitting pretty at the top of League Two. There, what does the future sort of uh, look like for you guys? Uh, a broad plan from back in our non-league days ten years ago was to get to the championship on a kind of high level analysis of what it might take, what kind of budget we would need to stay there, uh, what kind of crowd uh, and that kind of stuff. We reckoned that we're in the right place, not our actual stadium, but uh, in the county that we're in. And we went out looking for a new place, uh, which we found after a couple of years. It's been in planning for eight years now, actually called Eco Park. And that's Junction 13 of the M5, which is kind of almost in the middle of our county of 700,000 people. We think we've got all of the ingredients to be a championship football club. We put three stars on the back of our shirt a few years ago. They were great, um, not grayed out. They were they were not grayed out. I'm not describing it very well. Three outlines of stars, and we coloured one in for our promotion to League Two, and we left the other two blank. Hopefully, we'll get to colour another one in by the end of this season. Uh, and they represent our ambition as a football club: three promotions into the championship. We reckon that's. Um, very high level of football, obviously, but the higher up the leagues of football we go, the bigger our platform, uh, the further our message goes, and the more credibility our message has as well, our environment message, you know, because it comes with uh, a more credible football position in the pyramid. So that's a combination of our football and environment ambitions and our new home eco park. Uh, we've had a stadium designed for us by Zaha Deeds practice and be the first in the world to be made entirely of wood, lowest carbon footprint ever since the Romans invented concrete. And, and a wow. beautiful, really beautiful stadium. And, and, you know, if we get to build it and do all of these great things, I, I just think it'll be amazing. It really kind of pushed the boundaries of of, uh, of of everything. Now, hopefully I'm there when you uh, when you cut the ribbon for it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. That'd be good. Maybe we're talking four years. If we're lucky, four years. No, nah, sounds good. And, and also just while I've got you here, um, obviously there's been a lot of talk um, sort of in the media recently about ownership and different ownership models and sort of structure. Where do you almost sit on the owners and directors test and do you sort of welcome um, sort of more regulation to, into how football clubs are run? You know, I think football probably does need uh, more regulation than it has. You know, it's a little bit disjointed with the Premier League and an EFL and an FA. 
you know, between them trying to kind of, you know, manage the the show. Um, I think government are kind of certainly making noises about intervening in terms of a regulatory approach and where the money from football goes to make sure more goes to grassroots and stuff like that you know because football is a sport it should be not a business and you, it's fine for people to make businesses from it uh, but i think it has to be controlled it can't be an uncontrolled thing which to a degree it is with the premier league i would say i mean the football at that level is incredible and they deserve uh, you know the status that they have and stuff like that but it shouldn't be detached from the football pyramid, the roots of football in our country and and that kind of stuff. So uh, the, the fit and proper persons test is, is not, is it? Um, you know, it, it fails to uh, live up to its name, I think. And um, yeah, so I mean, that, that kind of needs another look at as well. I mean, if you look at the clubs that have got in trouble in the last few years, even, they've all got in trouble because of the kinds of people that have been able to buy them and the things that they've then gone on to do with them. And, and that's been a, a huge cost to the local communities and to some historical football clubs, which is wrong. And, and even just speaking there about, um, you sort of mentioned there about community club, how, how do you almost see your position obviously as a chairman. I see myself more or less as it's kind of its latest guardian. You know, I mean, the club is now um, over 130 years old, you know, so it's been around a lot longer than I have and it should be around a lot longer than I am. And, and so, you know, I, I'm just passing through really uh, the life of this club. And yeah, it's like that, you know, but I feel the same with Ecodricity, you know, I'm, I'm its kind of guardian, this company that I formed, World's First Green Energy Company back in 1995. You know, I don't feel like uh, an owner, you know, I don't, I, I don't have those feelings of possession uh, towards things. Um, but in, in the case of football, I think it shouldn't be that way. You know, we, those of us who get the chance to be a chairman of a football club or in inverted commas owner of a football club, are really it's custodians and it's important that we, uh, you know, we leave it in better shape than we found it. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, the last question that we always ask on the podcast is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? I guess for me, I think footy needs to become more modern in its outlook. One of my smallest, biggest bugbears is dress codes in, in boardrooms, you know. I think dress codes are so old fashioned. Uh, I mean, it's almost not a problem now at this level. Uh, just occasionally it's an issue, uh, but that's a tiny thing, but it can be a big thing as well. Um, but it's about being more modern and progressive in our outlooks, football clubs, you know, we've got to change, I think. Uh, our approach to like everything, but particularly the embracing of sustainability in its broader sense, you know, not just the environment aspect of sustainability, but financial sustainability as well. You know, I thought the uh, the wage cap and the squad cap that came in during the pandemic for League One and League Two, I thought they were fantastic. I thought that, you know, it was, it was the right thing to do to put proper sustainability into our leagues and, and to prevent the boom and bust uh, mentality that, you know, every every year, half a dozen clubs will suffer from. Um, so yeah, but it's about being more modern and more ethical and more progressive and, and properly sustainable, I would say. No, that's an awesome answer. It is World Book Day today, Del. So if there's one book that you could um, that you could recommend, <laughs> you could recommend. Yeah, okay. what, what, what would that one book be that changed well, your super life? Super easy. Yeah, that's super easy because uh, it's the one I wrote uh, in 2020. <laughs> In, in lockdown, I wrote a book about my life uh, on the road, uh, in football, in, in business, and where I'm going next, called Manifesto. And it's got this like um, 
blueprint for zero carbon living in it, which is like super important to me. I've been working on the issues of energy transport and food for a couple of decades now because 80% of all of our problems are wrapped up in those three things. Uh, and so the final chapter of the book is all about what we need to do to get ourselves to zero carbon and proper sustainability as a country. It's called Manifesto. Well, listeners, go check that out and uh, they'll we'll, we'll produce a signed copy of the book for us as well to give away. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Definitely. Definitely. And the proceeds of the book for charity, I'm not like plugging it as a commercial thing. I want I want people to read it because there's a, I think there's a lot of uh, lot of important information in there. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you very much for your time, Del. It's been a pleasure sort of chatting with you, understanding more about your passion for football, your passion for sustainability. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Mm, Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I love banging on about this stuff. (laughs) What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.